We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Listening to Weird Distractions Podcast, a weekly podcast that rotates between true crime, conspiracy theories, paranormal stories, folklore, and a little bit of this and a little bit of that to provide you, and more than likely what your local candlestick maker would consider a weird distraction from everyday life. I'm Alex, and I am back doing this week solo again. Before we dive in, my need for a distraction is, is that as I'm recording this, uh, my grandmother is in the hospital. She um, has been falling a lot lately and her memory's not uh, up to snuff, so to speak. So if everyone out there listening could, you know, send positive thoughts her way, that would be great. And just a reminder to hug your grandparents, hug your parents, hug your friends, tell them you love them. And, you know, life's too short to not do those things. So with that out of the way, I don't have any other housekeeping pieces. Um, Episode 112 will have a guest. I'm not going to say who just yet, but I have it on my agenda that we're going to have a guest. So stay tuned. And with that all out of the way, we're back talking true crime this week. And we're going to cover another MMIW case since it's been a while since we've done one on the show. And for those that are maybe new to the show and don't really know what MMIW means, it stands for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. These cases are ones I want to keep kind of like on a rotation with the show, as I truly believe that the more we discuss these cases, the more we can be educated about them in general and kind of breathe life into even the coldest of cases. With that said, this week we'll be discussing the mysterious disappearance of Sarah Nicole Graham. This episode may be a bit on the shorter side given there isn't really a whole lot of information out there about Sarah. However, I wanted to still shine a light on it despite not having as much information as maybe other true crime cases out there. Due to the content potentially discussed, coarse language, and other adult themes, listener discretion is advised. Sarah Nicole Graham was born April 1st of 1996, making her an Aries and only two years younger than myself. Not much is known about Sarah's upbringing or her personal life prior to her disappearance. From what I have gathered online, her biological mother and father kind of split up at some point. It's been reported that Sarah may have lived with her mother in Texas growing up, but then she went on to live with her father, Hubert, and her stepmother, Connie, in North Carolina. Hubert and Connie reportedly lived in Fairmount, North Carolina, which seems like a small town with a reported population of 2,641 people back in 2019. The move apparently took place right after high school, so I'm assuming sometime in 2014, and this is just an estimate. Sarah reportedly identified as a member of the Lum tribe, which according to their website, they are the largest tribe in North Carolina. Unfortunately, I can't really speak to how involved Sarah was with the Lumbee tribe and whether her family was heavily involved or not. There isn't a heck of a lot of information that I was able to find. However, if you're listening and you know how involved she was or you see something online, please send it my way as, you know, I'd always love to receive that kind of information. So I have a better understanding and can provide an update in a future episode. So as mentioned, Sarah moves in with her dad, Hubert, and her stepmother, Connie. Hubert and 
and Connie both worked for the Robeson County Sheriff's Office around the time that I think Sarah moves in. Huber at one point was a sergeant for the Robeson County Sheriff's Office. However, since May of 2020, he's been promoted to the chief of police for the Rowland Police Department. Connie reportedly worked as a deputy for the Robeson County Sheriff's Department for more than 20 years. Speaking of employment, Sarah reportedly worked at a Walmart in Pembroke, which was approximately under 20 miles or 32.18 kilometers north from where she lived in Fairmount. Our story with Sarah begins on what seems to be kind of a regularly scheduled workday for her, being that on February 4th of 2015. Then 18-year-old Sarah was reportedly scheduled to work that day at 7 a.m. and so she reportedly left the home at around 6.30 a.m. I imagine she put on the famous blue Walmart vest, got into her white Chevrolet Astro van and proceeded to take off to work. However, Sarah's van never rolled into the Walmart parking lot that day. She never clocked into work for her shift. Her locked abandoned van would be found on February 4th within a wheat field. The wheat field, located minutes away from her home, is reportedly located off of East McDonald Road between Chicken and Centerville Church Roads. The van was located at approximately 12.15 p.m., so about five hours and 45 minutes from when she had left home. It's not really clear to me who reported Sarah missing or who found the van either. However, there were eyewitnesses that apparently claimed that they saw the white Chevrolet Astro van parked and abandoned at around 6.45 a.m. Those eyewitnesses reported no sign of Sarah when they saw the van. They apparently just saw the van. Speaking of the van, again, the van and scene allegedly showed no signs of a struggle. For example, there were no windows that were broken into, there was no blood. There were no signs of any mysterious tire marks found nearby. None of Sarah's items were scattered in the field. There was just nothing there. As mentioned, the van was found to have been locked, which according to the writings from the website Woman Advance, the van needed to be manually locked, meaning whoever had the key had to do it, unlike today's common vehicles where you literally just press a button and your key just locks the car for you from however distance away. So presumably whoever had the key would have had to physically put the key in the lock of the car door and walk away or would have had to push down on the locked button on the inside of the car. Either way, basically it means that either Sarah locked the car herself or somebody else did. One interesting piece that I wasn't able to find out in my research was whether or not the key was found from the van. And I apologize, I know I keep referring to it as a car, but it is a white Chevrolet Astro van. And there was no sign or no mention of whether the key was in the van, whether it was gone, whether it was missing, absolutely nothing. So the hunt for Sarah began with the initiation from the Fairmount Police Department, which were accompanied by about 140 local volunteers and a canine unit. Multiple interviews were reportedly done, both presumably by the local police and by the FBI who were called in. Unfortunately though, Sarah was not located anywhere near the scene and no one had heard from her. Some listening may be wondering, is it possible that Sarah ran away? From what I gather, there was no evidence to suggest that she simply left her life in North Carolina without a trace on her own accord. Based on accounts, Sarah loved her job and seemed kind of a punctual employee when it came to attending shifts. Based on 
on the FBI page on Sarah, she was known to be a dependable employee, meaning I don't necessarily think that she would just up and leave without saying something or maybe hinting something or even quitting her job before leaving. Further referencing the FBI page on Sarah, it's been stated by FBI Detective Smith that Sarah was making friends in North Carolina and she seemed to be pretty happy with her life there, also kind of deflating the notion that she would have ran away. Given today's technology, you'd also want to consider the fact that she may have kind of shown up on some footage if she had simply ran away somewhere by now. After Sarah's disappearance and the beginnings of the search, a weird twist unravels in the case. On March 27th of 2015, the WMBF News had released an article noting that Connie Graham, Sarah's stepmother, had been fired from her job at the Robson County Police Department. In a direct quote by Sheriff Kenneth Seeley from the WMBF News article, quote, her termination is a personal matter. Thank you to all of those for your understanding to assist us with this investigation. Now, some online armchair detectives are quick to think that Connie and maybe even Hubert, Sarah's dad, have something to do with Sarah's disappearance. However, it's hard to put any eggs in that basket without knowing certain things. For example, what was the relationship like between Connie and Sarah? Did Connie and Hubert have something to gain if Sarah was gone? And what was the relationship like between Hubert and Sarah? All of these questions, unfortunately, I can't answer. With that said, Sarah's case seemingly has gone fairly cold since 2015. It's almost as if Sarah disappeared without a trace, which is both beyond concerning and confusing all at once. There are some updates though that I did want to discuss. For example, in the winter of 2018, skeletal remains were reportedly found by a survey crew in Lumberton, North Carolina. The remains, located within the 1200 block of Heritage Drive near the railroad tracks, were thought to be Sarah's at first. According to the Fayetteville Observer, Sarah's dental records were sent for comparison with the remains to see if maybe it was Sarah. However, after reviewing it further, it appears that the skeletal remains belonged to a 24-year-old Varsi Locklear, who was a local to Pembroke. Although it's good that they were able to identify the remains and locate Varsi, it's also a little bit disheartening in respect to Sarah's case. In February of 2022, Hubert was interviewed regarding his daughter's case, in which he shared his thoughts and frustrations regarding the entire investigation. The frustrations seem to stem from Hubert feeling as if the FBI, which stands for the Federal Bureau of Investigation, by the way, haven't really necessarily been treating Hubert like a parent of a missing child, in which I'm going to use the following quotes from an ABC C15 news article to elaborate further as to what Hubert actually had to say and, you know, where he aired his grievances. Quote, I need to be treated like a parent because it's still my daughter. She's still my daughter, no matter what the situation is. I got contacted by the FBI. They asked me, didn't Sarah have braces? There is this one time they found skeletal remains somewhere near St. Paul's. They found a skull. I said, yes, she had braces. And that was the whole conversation. I never got a call back saying no, that wasn't her or anything like that. People are out there making the rumors and making the suggestions. Me and my wife may know something or have something to do with this and everything. But I'm here to tell you that is far from the truth as you can ever get. I hope everybody understands those are rumors. I'll be glad to answer any questions anybody wants to ask me. As far as what I know about my daughter, I know as much as you know. All I know is I went to work one day, I got a phone call, the van was in the field, and I have not seen her. 
end quote. So to circle back a little bit on the remains from St. Paul's based off of Hubert's quote, uh, St. Paul's, which by the way is approximately 30 minutes north of Fairmount, apparently there was another set of remains that they were thought at one point to maybe have been Sarah, but they weren't, unfortunately. In that same ABC 15 article, Hubert is also quoted saying that he got the Astro van back and once he combed it over, he noticed no sign of blood, no signs of struggle or anything like that. And once again, he is also a cop. So if anyone would have maybe picked up on those things, especially a cop that's looking for any signs of anything for their child, it would have been Hubert, right? Hubert also had mentioned that he kind of stayed back from the case itself as he didn't want folks to think he was influencing any aspect of the case, given the fact that he is an officer in the area. The FBI also came back with a response to Hubert's frustrations, which I'm going to directly quote that ABC 15 article again to share a statement by FBI Charlotte Division Public Affairs Specialist Shelley Lynch. Quote, we have spoken to Sarah's family anytime we had investigative updates and will continue to do so. It is a standard practice for the FBI to issue a news release, a poster, a tweet, or other publicity to mark the anniversary of a person's disappearance in an unsolved case. Since it is not new information, we would not necessarily make personal notification, end quote. So to summarize this week's true crime episode, the disappearance of Sarah Nicole Graham, like many other MMIW cases, is tough to cover. And I say tough to cover in the sense that it seems as if we have nothing to work off of in order to try and come to some kind of notion as to what happened. There are so many unknowns, not a whole lot of publicly stated leads, other than the rumors that her dad and stepmom have something to do with it, and no further updates to work off of. I know a lot of listeners will want to put their money that someone close to Sarah knows something. And to be completely honest, I keep teetering between that notion as well. I truly hope justice for Sarah comes one day. However, we need to be mindful of the case's current state, which is seemingly cold. Regardless, I want to provide Sarah's physical description and contact information for those listening in hopes that maybe someone somewhere may know something. Sarah went missing when she was approximately 18 years old, and as of the release of this episode, she would be approximately 27 years old. Sarah was last reported being five foot four, roughly 160 pounds with dark curly brown hair and brown eyes. Photographs of Sarah show her with short hair, roughly above her shoulders. She was known to wear thin framed glasses and has a history of wearing braces. On February 4th of 2015, Sarah would have been wearing a blue Walmart vest, I assume with a name tag on. As mentioned, she is identified as Native American and is part of the Lumbee tribe. A picture of Sarah will be posted on our social media platforms for more of a visual reference. If anyone has any information regarding Sarah's disappearance, please contact the Robeson County Sheriff's Office at 910-671-3100 or the Charlotte FBI Office at 704-672-6100. The FBI website also recommends that you can contact your local FBI office or nearest American embassy. The FBI is offering a reward of up to $5,000 for any information regarding Sarah's disappearance. And that is the disappearance of Sarah Nicole Graham. Hopefully I can provide an update in the future 
future. I will keep my eyes out for any information out there that comes my way. But now it is time to thank my resources before we really wrap this episode up. So thank you to the YouTube video called Where is Sarah Nicole Graham by user Amber Loves Mystery that was uploaded on June 28th of 2018. Thank you to both the Wikipedia pages for Pembroke, North Carolina and for Fairmount, North Carolina. Thank you to the Lumbee Tribe of North Carolina website. Thank you to Reddit for its page on, or I guess its post on Sarah Nicole Graham. Uh, thank you to the Robeson article, Rowland Leaders Welcome New Chief of Police by Tomika Sinclair on June 9th, 2020. Thank you to the Women Advance website for its article titled, Today We Remember the Unsolved Missing Person Case of Sarah Nicole Graham by guest author not listed on September 30th of 2021. Thank you to the WMBF News article titled Stepmom of Missing Robeson County Teen Fired from Sheriff's Office by WMBF News Staff on March 27th of 2015. Thank you to the ABC 15 News article titled Robeson County Man Says FBI Isn't Treating Him Like a Parent Seven Years After Daughter Vanished by Tanya Brown on February 4th of 2022. Big ol' thank you to the FBI website for its missing person coverage of Sarah Graham. Thank you to the Fayetteville Observer for its article titled Skeletal Remains Found Near Lumberton Railroad Tracks by Hrithanthi Croy on December 12th of 2018. Thank you to the Fayetteville Observer again for its article titled Records Used to ID Skeletal Remains Found in Robeson County Include Missing Teens by Nancy McClearly on December 13th of 2018. And last but not least, thank you to the Robesonian article titled Skeletal Remains Belong to Pembroke Man, which there was no author listed, but that was published on December 19th of 2018. So thank you to all my resources and thank you for listening to another solo episode of mine. Hope you enjoyed it. I know it's a little bit of a somber episode because it's a missing person case. I don't like to make jokes during these cases, but hopefully in discussing this case, people will keep their eyes and their ears open. Hopefully some information out there can be helpful towards Sarah's case. And, you know, hopefully this kind of educates people listening a little bit more about the case. Because to be honest, before I had looked into it, I've never heard of Sarah's case. And I'm really glad I did because it's one more case that I've educated myself on a little bit. Now, if you've enjoyed today's Weird Distraction episode, consider telling your friends, family, coworkers, or really anyone who will listen about us. You can tell them to find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, Podchaser, and other platforms. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods, please consider leaving a rating or review. On Spotify, you can also leave us a five-star rating as well. Well, this helps get more attention to our weird little show and you can do this kind of support for free. Another way to support the show for free and to make sure you never miss an update is to follow us on our social media platforms. We're over on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. You can find us by searching Weird Distractions Podcast or on Twitter, our handle is at WeirdDistractI1. If you're wanting more Weird Distractions and maybe want to support the show financially, consider joining one of our two tiers over on Patreon. Both tiers currently get early access and ad-free episodes, plus monthly bonus episodes. 
You can find out more by going to patreon.com slash weird distractions podcast. Shout out to our current patrons, Tom, Bailey, Angela, John, Alicia, Lynn, Sissy, Shadow, Courtney, and Cheryl. We love you and appreciate your support so much. Thank you for being part of our weird little Patreon family. If you're not able to subscribe for a monthly fee over on Patreon, don't worry about it. You can financially support the show as a one-off and still get something for yourself over on Redbubble. You can find some of our merch designs available on sweaters, notebooks, t-shirts, and many more. Just head on over to Redbubble's website and look up Weird Distractions Podcast. You can also make a one-time donation over on Buy Me A Coffee, which you can find that link in our social media bios, or simply just look us up as Weird Distractions Podcast. Lastly, we'd love to hear from our listeners. We're always collecting your weird tales of true crime, paranormal encounters, and any other experience that made you think, hmm that was weird. We've released some listener distraction episodes and we'd love to keep doing this series. You can email us at weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com. If you do email us, let us know if we can use your name or if you'd like to be anonymous. Also, you can email us any corrections that need to be made after today's episode. As always, if you need a distraction, we got you. Bye. August of 1980, Carol Bundy confessed her connection to the Sunset Strip Slayer who had been terrorizing Los Angelinos all summer. In September of 2012, the cult of the Unification Church, also known as the Moonies, mourned the death of their leader, Sun Myung Moon. Tune into Murder Murder News every Friday to hear us detangle another twisted tale from true crime history. If you're an amateur sleuth who hopes to someday solve a cold case or locate a missing person, tune into Murder Murder News and start off your search with a deep dive into some fascinating and very solvable cases. We always take a victim-first stance and like to focus on crimes affecting marginalized communities which typically don't get enough media attention. Subscribe to Murder Murder News wherever you get your podcast to make sure you never miss an episode. 